At least a third of patients with major depressive disorder do not have a response after multiple trials of antidepressant drugs, and they're considered to have treatment-resistant depression. In March 2019, the Food and Drug Administration approved esketamine, a rapidly-acting drug shown to be effective in patients with treatment-resistant depression. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Roy Perlis, Director of the Center for Quantitative Health at Massachusetts General Hospital and a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Perlis, what options have existed in the past for patients with treatment-resistant depression, and how effective have they been? I could spend all of the time remaining on our discussion just talking about the various options that have been tried over the years. There's actually only one FDA-approved option for TRD, which is the combination of olanzapine and fluoxetine. But I would say over the last several decades, there has been a lot of effort to investigate adding atypical antipsychotics to standard antidepressants, adding or combining antidepressants, as well as a whole host of other augmentation drugs. So there's been a lot of study, but most of the time, these have been relatively small, not always well-controlled studies. And as I said, there was only one other combination approved by FDA. In a perspective article, Kim and co-authors at the FDA discussed the recent approval of esketamine for treatment-resistant depression. And there's been some debate about that decision. Can you tell us a bit about how the drug works and the evidence that the FDA used to support the approval? So in terms of how the drug works, it's an NMDA antagonist, so an glutamate receptor blocker. And of course, ketamine has been marketed in the U.S. for many decades used as an anesthetic, and S-ketamine is just the S enantiomer. In terms, though, of why it works, other than noting that we really haven't had glutamatergic strategies for depression in the past, so this is a truly new mechanism drug, I don't think anyone can tell you definitively why glutamatergic drugs would work. I think what's critical to understand about the new intervention is FDA was responding to two problems. One, a lack of good evidence supporting other interventions. So we really didn't have a lot of other options with reasonable support. And the fact that the onset of esketamine's therapeutic effect was so rapid, often within a few hours. And I think that really tilted the scales in comparison to all of the other standard antidepressant interventions other than ECT that can take a number of weeks to work. So it was the lack of evidence for other interventions as well as the rapidity of onset that I think tipped the scales. A potential con is that, as the authors write, because esketamine transiently increases blood pressure, prescribers will need to monitor patients for at least two hours after they administer the drug. How feasible is that kind of monitoring? And is that going to be a barrier to widespread use? I do think that's going to be a barrier for some patients, and I know even in the process of discussing that risk mitigation strategy, there was some concern among committee members that it could keep patients from being able to access this treatment. I think FDA was responding to real concerns about blood pressure and also more generally that this is a drug that in the past or a relative of a drug that in the past has been a drug of abuse. So they want to make sure that it's administered with appropriate supervision. So I think it's a reasonable concern, but I think beginning to use this drug in a very cautious way may make sense. You mentioned the history of abuse associated with ketamine. How much of a concern is potential abuse with esketamine? There's no reason to think that the abuse liability, frankly, is different. I think it has more to do with the context in which it's going to be administered. So again, I think with more supervision, 
more regulation, careful attention to dosing. I think much of the ketamine abused in the street has been given orally, and the bioavailability of ketamine itself is highly variable. So people using it in the street would be exposed to a huge range depending on where they got it and so forth. So I think the risk is real. And with any drug that has potentially reinforcing properties, I think we have an obligation, we've learned with opioids, to be particularly careful when we use it. But again, I think what FDA had to balance is that we desperately need good options for this third of patients who don't benefit sufficiently from other antidepressants. So there is certainly a risk, but I think you have to understand it in the context of needing good therapeutic options for these patients. So in fact, what kinds of patients will be optimal candidates for esketamine, and how can providers ensure that they have access to the drug? Well, I think in general... This is absolutely not a first-line treatment. So this is a treatment for individuals who have failed initial antidepressant strategies. And while we tend to jump to pharmacologic strategies, I think it's important to note that cognitive behavioral therapy can be very effective for depression and for treatment-resistant depression. So I think the ideal esketamine patient is someone who has had multiple prior trials. I think generally two prior trials, but I suspect a lot of the initial use will be in patients who've had multiple prior trials. I think it's important, even though there are only two FDA-approved medications for treatment-resistant depression, it's important that patients also be offered ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, if it's appropriate. I think it's very important that the conversation include cognitive behavioral therapy, if that's something that the patient is open to. So I think my concern is that this needs to be part of a discussion where there are multiple reasonable options. I would be extremely cautious in using these medications with patients with an abuse history. Certainly active substance abusers would not be candidates. But I think we also have to acknowledge that substance use disorders often travel with depression. And so in patients with a remote history of substance use disorder, I don't think this is absolutely contraindicated. I just think it requires additional caution. So for patients who are receiving esketamine, is this going to be an indefinite treatment or are they eventually going to transition to an antidepressant that they can take at home, for example? I think the hope is to find something that can maintain the benefits long-term without requiring the intranasal administration, which in the studies is either once or twice a week. Unfortunately, at least at this point, no one's found a good way to maintain the short-term benefit of esketamine without continued administration of esketamine. So I think for most patients starting this drug, they should be anticipating that they're going to be continuing on it. I think one important thing to recognize is that in treatment-resistant depression, most of the time patients who do finally find an effective treatment are required to be maintained on that treatment long-term. And that's just because what we know from studies like STAR-D is that the risk of relapse is quite high. So that's part of the reason that FDA required them to do longer-term studies, because I think the expectation is that people will end up with indefinite treatment, at least until better options come along. Finally, are there other products in development? What's the future of managing treatment-resistant depression look like? I think there's a lot of excitement in the pipeline for both other glutamatergic strategies, including potential oral glutamatergic drugs. I think there's enthusiasm for somatic therapies, transcranial magnetic stimulation, for example. 
which may be another option for people who don't respond to initial medications. So there's a lot in the pipeline. I think esketamine is probably the first of a number of new treatment options. The good news is that there will be treatment options because I don't think this is a solution for all patients with treatment-resistant depression, but I do think finally having something with uh, rapid onset other than ECT, I think, is a real milestone for the field. Thank you, Dr. Perlis.